Amen. All right, thanks, Trevor. So, man, there's so many different things about this Sunday that I love. Um, we're close to Christmas. The anticipation for presents is growing. All the fun and thrills, or at least for the kids, the fun and thrills of Christmas morning. Um, that's all upon us. And even Christmas Eve service, as I really look forward to that and holding the candle and just, uh, just really thanking God for coming to our world and making such a difference in our lives. So in a, in a few minutes, we're going to start the Gospel of John, and we'll get into a a story of that that I'm, I'm really excited to share with you. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update on things going on at the church here. And uh, just so you can be praying, and also we want to welcome your input into things as we go forward into the next year. Uh, we have some hopes, some dreams, some needs, some challenges. And uh, in all of that, we are a family together. We're walking through that together. So uh, first, a point of great news was a couple weeks ago, I, I put up on the screen uh, kind of our remaining need from a budget perspective for the rest of this year. Really neat. To, I'm glad to say uh, $23,000 has come in so far to help meet that need. Uh, that's huge. That's amazing. That, that's a testament to a lot of people's great generosity. Um, there's still about $100,000 that would be helpful to come in. I mean, it's one of those things where we say whatever God provides for our church for the year ahead, that's in his hands, and we'll use whatever we have as faithful as we can. Um, but we also make plans going forward and go, we'd love to like step forward boldly into ministry, uh, to new, in, in new, new ventures that we would have in mind and new opportunities and even some of the existing ministries that we have that we really value. And, uh, and so if you would be willing to pray just over the next couple weeks, Lord, is there, is there anything you'd like me to give to the church uh, before December 31st, kind of meet that year-end need? We would, we would love to have you as a partner with us in what the future looks like. So we're actually really excited about 2020. There's quite a few things on the calendar already that we're looking ahead to. Uh, three things that um, we've talked about as a staff and leader team a little bit and that we're just kind of processing through uh, what, that, what, we, what we will take on in 2020 that we're excited about. Um, one that I'm just really glad, you probably heard it in Terry's announcement a little while ago, but uh, young adult singles, that's 18 to 25-year-olds, uh, we're starting a group. It's actually January 12th is the kickoff of that new ministry. Uh, the Lanthams and the Helgoths are leading that charge, and are either are any of you in the room? Nope. Okay. All right. They were in first service, maybe, and that's a, but. Man, I'm so glad they've taken that on. That's going to be really neat. And so, if you are in that category, and we want to talk to you, we want to make sure you have the info for January 12th and the kickoff event there. Uh, or if you have family members in that category that aren't attached to the church, it'd be a great time as New Year starts to onboard them. And uh, it'd be neat to be able to, you know, just see a, a new kind of group of people that I think in, in a lot of ways we might all agree, just our, our ministry has been sort of a hole in that category. After people graduate out of youth group, what's sort of their next step? Um, just so excited that we're going to have a great answer to that question going forward starting on January 12th. Uh, another thing that we're looking at and just kind of praying about and being sensitive to, and a lot of you are well aware of, is uh, over the course of time, it seems like there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of people in our church that have unique needs, a lot of challenges that people face financially, emotionally, spiritually. One group that, I, that as, as time has gone on has been growing is our group of widows and widowers. I went through our database the other day and saw that as of right now, there's about 29 widows who are regular attenders here. And then if you kind of widen the circle a little bit and say, like, what about the people that just show up sometimes? It's even bigger. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people in that stage of life and the needs that are represented there that in 2020 as a church ministry team, as a staff team, we want to just be exploring, like, how can we better serve uh, those people? How can we love them, value them, meet different needs they have? And so that's something we're open to feedback and help with. 
Uh, but that's coming forward. And then, and then one that we've talked about, and I'm, I'm really excited about seeing how this comes to fruition, is, is the idea that all of us are disciples of Jesus, and all of us need a road forward that takes us from where we are to a place of maturity and mission with Christ. And for a lot of people, you know, they kind of figure out their own path, and they have a great experience. But I would say most people um, kind of are waiting for someone to say, like, hey, here's a road. Like, they'd be really willing to do whatever was on that road, but they, they need a plan. And uh, that's one thing we want to develop as a church family, as we see more and more people coming into our family who are new to the faith. We just want to make sure the road is really clear, that whether you're starting as a complete Christian beginner or you've been in the mix for like 50 years, that no matter who you are, you know what your next step needs to be. And, uh, and so that discipleship pathway, as a staff team, we're working through what that will look like. And hopefully in 2020, we'll be able to roll that out somewhere in the middle of the year. And, uh, and so th- those are things we're just looking forward to. And as the new year flips over and the new decade gets started, uh, we just want to commit all that to the Lord in prayer. Uh, because all, anything that we have in our hearts to do as a church family uh, takes volunteers, it takes prayer, it takes money, it takes effort and energy. It also takes focus. And you know, one of the challenges I think we all know is common among churches is it's, you, know, you, you try to do too much. So you have a lot of focuses and pretty soon you realize, wait a minute, we're just... We're not really doing great at anything. We're just focusing on everything, so we don't want to go down that road either. Uh, so we're just we're we're looking ahead prayerfully, saying, Lord, what what do our next steps need to be, and uh, and how do we best approach this? Not just from with kind of human wisdom from our perspective, but Lord, what do you want for us? And uh, so I wonder if you just join me in prayer now as we commit that to the Lord, uh, Heavenly Father. We really do count it a joy to be a part of your family, and that we can organize ourselves together into this church to be able to pool our resources and our energy and our prayer and our volunteer hours together uh, so that we can accomplish things together that we never could if we were just all separate. And so, Lord, you know what our needs are and you know what our dreams are. And I pray that as all of us together are seeking you here in this moment to provide for those needs, to uh, either, Lord, either help the dreams that we've laid out to come to pass um, or change our dreams, Lord, and show us what it is that you as our Lord, as the head of this body, would want us to do. And uh, so, Lord, we're here to serve you. Uh, We want to celebrate and love you with every breath that we have and every aspect of our lives. And to the extent that as a church community we can do that corporately, uh, we want to do our best. And so, uh, Lord, we commit all that to you, and we look forward to the new year. And all all the things that are represented by that, probably a lot of amazing and great things and a lot of challenges and difficulties as well that we don't know about yet. Uh, Whatever those are, Lord, we're glad to walk through those together and we're glad that you are with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to start a series today that I think is going to be a lot of fun. It's also going to take us all the way through Easter Sunday. But before we start, I want to ask you how much you know about your family lineage, your heritage. Some of you are seeing these people in a few days, right? They're going to show up around your dining room table. You have to like cover the face with the reality of who is actually in your family. And you go, man, I wish this could just, could we just get that part over with? Give me my present. I'll eat the cake and then we move on, you know, but no, we love our families. We're glad they're all visiting, right? But um, my sister sent me this text the other day that I thought was interesting. Uh, she had run her, whatever, the Q&A and the DNA and everything together, and some, some website told her that this was her ethnicity. And so she kind of said, you know, 
Diana, this is probably yours too. So, well, I, I would assume that as my sister, but... Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see that. I, I'm like a mixed-up American that like, when people say, where did you come from, I really have no idea. So this is actually really helpful to me. Like, hey, wow, there, there, there it is. It's still not very specific. You know, that's like multiple countries. And if you notice at the bottom there, it says other regions tested 1,000 plus, which means that there's like slight percentages in lots of other categories. So my, my mom got this text as well, and she said, well... I'm surprised it doesn't say Native American because my mom actually knows there is Native American. But what we did when we were looking at the math, we realized that would fall in the smaller percentages because, and I, so my, you know, this, this sort of sparked some family conversation, right? So, so what I found out was that in the upper peninsula of Michigan, there were two Indian boys that were adopted by my great, 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 whatever, grandpa, long time ago. One of those grew up and married somebody who had a baby who had a baby that became my great-grandpa, and then on and on it went. So I think the math would be that my great-grandfather's grandpa was Native American, uh, which means that, depending on how you think of it, I'm either 132nd or 164th, which, which then means I qualify for all... No, it's, it's, it's Christmas, right? We won't go there. I could run for office on that or something, but... I'll leave all that for others to do, and, uh, and I want to show you the next picture where my son Gideon, for his class project, last year got to do a family tree poster board, and he had lots of fun with this, and this also sparked a bunch of family conversations. We had to get grandma involved and get you know, pictures sent and historical records out and things like that, and we found relatives on the Mayflower and in the Revolutionary War and in the Civil War, World War I, World War II. Um, just like all these different, you know, slow motion Forrest Gump of American history, like, oh, that's my family, that's really neat. Even a president, Zachary Taylor, my grandma's name was Taylor, and he's not actually that far removed. So if I, and it, what's sad, you haven't heard of that president, he was only president for a few months, because he died of poison cherries on the 4th of July, like right after he was, pre- so just kind of short-circuited that dream. But, the, uh, but when I look at his portrait, like if I, if I hold up his portrait and I in the mirror and I kind of make a grumpy face, I can see it. Like, there it is. Like, yes. So, the, uh, so then we found out, you know, my, uh, we did, you know, a little bit more closer to home research. My grandpa was, a, was an executive at Hannah Mining Company and went all over the world and led, led a bunch of mining operations. My uncle um, is a health insurance executive in New York. My mom has run some organizations. So anyway, Gideon's putting all this together going, hey, everybody's a leader. I was like, well, that's because like the stories you record are the good stories, right? So there's probably other people that weren't leaders that were also in the tree. But anyway, we ended up with this family of leaders like board that was really neat. And, and here's something that it did for, for Gideon, right? Gideon, you remember this pretty well because you did it. But the, uh, was at the end of the board, it kind of says, okay, well, what's, what's my job now? Like, what, what do I do? Like when you see the family history... You're, you're excited about it, you're proud of it, but then you kind of realize, wait, I'm a link in this chain as well. I have a part to play. Like, what will, what will the next kid's board have when I'm the grandpa? Or what, you know, what, what will happen in the future? And, uh, and so anytime you review your family history, I feel like it kind of calls that out of you, that you start realizing you're a part of something bigger than just yourself and even than just your nuclear family. Like, you're a part of a line, a family tree that has some meaning. Okay, so we're going to do a quick exercise in here just for fun. And uh, here's the question I want you to ask your friend. Ta-da, question you answer. There it is. Okay, uh, what do you know about your family tree? What do you know about it? All right, 
Now, you, you might in this just few seconds we're going to share this, you could, you could say something grandiose like what president or king or queen or something you're related to. You could say how many years your uncle was in prison. You could, I mean, whatever you want to bring out, you can bring it out, all right? I'm going to give you about two minutes to find someone who is not in your family tree and ask them that question, all right? And that two minutes starts right now. All right. So these are stories that could go on and on, right? Quite literally, depending on how much recon you've done on this, you could probably keep talking for the whole rest of the service if you wanted to. So that would be a great thing to bring up at lunch today when you invite whoever you were talking to out to lunch and say, hey, we need to keep this conversation going. Let's keep doing that. But for now, we're going to, um, I want to encourage you, especially some of you who are like kind of bummed out about this exercise because you're like, I don't, I'm not really proud of my family tree, I'm not really proud of myself. Uh, here's some good news for you. Your story is actually a lot better than you think because I'm almost sure that as you were telling your story, you were thinking about your earthly biological family tree or the family tree you, you were adopted into. What you weren't necessarily thinking is the fact that you, if you're a believer in Jesus, are a part of a much bigger family that also has a story, and when you become a Christian, you join that story. So that's why it's so fun to read the Gospels and to open up the Bible because you're not reading about other people's lives and other people's lineage. You're actually reading your own family history. And so just like you might have a story of your grandpa who you know, served in some war or whatever, you can go even further back in your faith family history and these stories are a part of that as well. So when we read the Gospel of John over the next few Sundays, which I think it'll be over 16 or 17 weeks we're going to be in the Gospel of John because we're going to start today, here it is Christmas, we're going to end on Easter with the resurrection. So everything in between that is the life and work of Jesus. We're going to study all that this spring. Uh, it'll be, but, but here's the thing, you could either approach this whole thing as someone else's story or you could realize as a believer this is your story too. This has incredible import to your life. So uh, so let's set it up a little bit. When you join God's family, you become a part of his amazing eternal story. Go ahead and turn back in the Bible to what Katie started us out with today, John 1. And um, in John 1, we find the beginning of the gospel. Now, there are four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them written from a different perspective. Um, I'm glad that's the case. Each gospel kind of brings out different facets of the life of Jesus and shows his power in different areas. John, I think, was written to show us why Jesus is the Lord that's so worth following and, and to establish for us the identity of who Jesus is. And so when we read this, we're reading his story, which can become your story. So it goes all the way back to the beginning. Like if you're saying oh, there's parts of my family tree that are kind of missing, in this family tree, you could start all the way at John 1.1, and what does it say? In the beginning... The Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave, gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. At the very beginning of what we understand to be time, God was there. And to the people that John was writing to, um, in his context, the, the, the people of that era were kind of enamored by the idea of some sort of ultimate truth or ultimate reality that was out there that was very distant from them. And they would seek that, and they'd sit around and philosophize about how to find it. 
And John kind of enters into the conversation and says, the ultimate truth you're looking for isn't an, an idea, it's actually a person. It's not an it, it's a who. The ultimate truth, the word, is the one who created everything. You and I have life because of the word, that ultimate reality. But that word actually became a human being. If you look down to verse 14, that's what it says. That's what Christmas, that's why it's such a big deal that we're celebrating Christmas. The word, the ultimate reality, the creator became a human being. The word became flesh and made his home, his dwelling among us. So again, if you're saying like, what's Christmas all about? There it is. The, The word actually became flesh. Jesus came down from heaven, was born as one of us. He had a mission to accomplish. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it goes all the way back, your family history and faith. It also goes all the way forward. You might know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting, eternal life. Life that never ends. And so when you become a follower of Jesus, when you believe in him, you actually leave the, the sense of just being a temporary resident here on earth who had, had kind of missed the mark and was, was on the wrong road. He changes everything about you, and your family story, like the family you join, now goes way out into the future. So if you think about it, the family story that you told to one another, how much of that did you have to do with? Like, did you pick your ethnicity or what your grandpa did for a living? I didn't pick any of that. You didn't pick yours either because it had nothing to do with you, right? You were born or adopted into a family. You don't get to sort of pick and choose what it's like. There, there was a whole history before and there's a whole history coming up and you're just one tiny piece of that. So here's what's amazing. Even though you were on the outside of God's family before you became a believer in Jesus, the day you believe you actually get included into the whole story that God has going on. The story that began with the word in the beginning when he created everything and the story that never ends, the story that's everlasting into heaven, into life. And you get to now have a piece of that. Now you're a link in that chain the day you believe in Jesus. So the the Gospel of John is this whole book on why and how to believe in Jesus. How do you actually make this story your story? So we're going to walk through a few principles here. First of all, Jesus went to great lengths to include you in this. So this wasn't easy. This wasn't God just sort of mandating from heaven that now you get to be a part of the family. There was a mess to clean up. I mean, God created you to be a part of the family. He made this world for Adam and Eve and all of their offspring to be a part of the family, but they chose to walk away from God. And so before you could be a part of the family, a restoration had to happen. And that's why Jesus came. That's why the angel said to to Mary, you have to name this child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the concept there, that that our sin, our rebellion, the evil in our lives and hearts, that had separated us from God, so we couldn't have the relationship with him that we were designed to have. But now, because of God's grace and love, he invites us back. Jesus came to be our salvation. And the great lengths he went to were literally, he was willing to take the penalty of the sin that you and I had committed and pay for it himself. That's why he came. So as Jesus was there paying the price for your sin, because he loves you so much, I mean, think about it, it was even before you were born. I mean, you you weren't even a gleam in anybody's eye at that time. But Jesus was looking ahead to all the people that could come to faith in him, all the people that could be a part of his family forever. 
if only the way could be restored for them to have a relationship with God. And so we look to Jesus and we say, wow, thank you for that providence, that love that, love that I don't even understand, that I certainly am not worthy of, that, that while I was still sinful, you loved me anyway, and you were willing to bear all the price of the sin I'd committed so that I could be back in the family, so that I wouldn't, my story wouldn't just be cut off on the sidelines somewhere, but no, I could actually be in the eternal story of God. It's an amazing principle. In John 12, Jesus was just about to go to the cross in the narrative of John, so we'll get there in a few weeks, but he, he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it can grow and multiply into many seeds. So a little farming principle there, right? The seed, I mean, if you just take the fresh seed right out of the wheat or whatever, it's not going to grow, but it has to dry out, it has to die. And somehow in that process, the miracle of new life is now made possible and life that multiplies and keeps going and going. And Jesus said, that's what's going to have to happen. Jesus is going to have to fall to the ground and die, in this metaphor, so that new life could be made available to all of us. So he went to great lengths to make this possible, this family restoration. If you look at verse 1, or I mean verse 12 of John 1, it says, actually look back to verse 10, he says, he came to the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. The people that sort of should have known better, the people that had all the prophecies and the laws of Moses and everything, they should have recognized this is our Messiah. They rejected him too. But then you've got verse 11, or verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, to literally enter the family, to become a part of the family tree that is God's family tree. Say, I don't have any place in God's family tree. Well, not on your own merit, not on your own goodness, but on the basis of what Jesus died to accomplish for you. Yes, he will give you the right to become a child of God when you believe in him, when you accept him. It says in verse 13, they are reborn, not, to become, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so you get to be spiritually born again, and now you're a part of this new family, this family with an incredible story that you could tell. To next time somebody says, tell me about your family, you could say, well, I have, a, I have an earthly family and I have an eternal family. I want to tell you both stories because they're both interesting. But that eternal family story is not over. And even if your earthly family fails you or if you do look in the mirror and you're not proud of what's happening or if, if there are a bunch of messes in your family tree, hey, that's only one aspect of who you are. There's this bigger story you're a part of that literally lasts forever. And that's what we can celebrate, and that's why we're so grateful for Christmas, because it's the gift of being able to become a part of God's family. So, Jesus is the only way to make your, to kind of jump into this family. There's no other way to make this story your own. If you look in verse 16, it says it's from Jesus, from his, it, we've all received one blessing, one grace after another. It's the law that came through Moses. That law couldn't help us. I mean, that just showed us how bad we all were, how far away from the family we'd all grown. But it says grace and truth, or God's unfailing love and faithfulness, that has come through Jesus Christ. And so even though none of us have laid eyes on God, verse 18, we actually look up and we can see who God was. We've been, God has been revealed to us through Jesus. 
which is another reason it's great to study the Gospel of John, right? Because when we look at Jesus in the Gospel of John or in the other Gospels, we're not just seeing a great teacher, we're not just seeing a kind man or some sort of miracle worker, we're actually seeing God in human flesh. It's verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his home among us. And we get to know God as we get to know Jesus. When we look at the face of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the love of Jesus, we're actually seeing God in all of that. And then that tells us how we follow God, right? I mean, we look at Jesus and we say, that's the, he's, the human, he, he's the human representation of what God is. I want to follow him and not follow anyone else. So the law came through Moses. Grace and truth, or God's unfailing love and faithfulness, those came through Jesus Christ. And I think about this as part of the Christmas gift, part of the story, because the reason it was such a big deal for Jesus to come to Bethlehem and to be born into a dark, sinful world was the fact that none of us deserved for that to happen. And if you just looked at the law that came through Moses, that, that's the perfection of God sort of outlined. So if you read the law, which is the, the first few books of the Bible, the, the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments and all the laws that sort of surround those, what you're left with is this amazing view of how holy and perfect God is and how impossible it would be for you to ever live that way. And so when you, when you look at the family of God and the perfection of God over here and you look at the law that, that sort of governs all that and you're like, that's the ultimate family to be in, but I have no hope of ever getting there. There's, there's no way in for me. I, I've already fallen so far short of that. Uh, and there's nothing I could do. Like even if I tried really hard, there's no way I'll ever make it. The law came through Moses. And all the law does is show us our need. It shows us how far from God we are. But, but the love of God is demonstrated through Jesus. So Jesus comes as, as this demonstration of love, and it's like while we were still sinners, while we even, some of us were even hating God and using God's name in vain and cursing God and, and laughing at, at his law, Jesus still loved us and was willing to give his life as a payment for our sins so that we could join his story, so that we could be a part of what he's always been doing and what he wants you and I to be a part of. It's really an amazing gift. It's an amazing grace that we celebrate together. So between now and Easter, we're going to track through the whole storyline. All right, starts next week. We'll go right to the next verse, verse 19, and we'll keep going. And if you, if you come to church every Sunday between now and Easter, you'll actually have gotten to read the whole Gospel of John because we'll read every verse in church. We won't necessarily get to comment on every verse, but we'll at least read through everything this Gospel has to say. Uh, but it's not just an exercise in saying, what does it say? Because if you believe in Jesus, this story becomes your story too. Like this gospel becomes your gospel. You think about why is it named Gospel of John? Or why is Matthew named Gospel of Matthew? It's because this is the good news that John is reporting, right? And then you read Matthew and it's the good news that Matthew's reporting. So like in effect, you could have the gospel of your name, when you start reporting what Jesus has done in your life, like you pick up the story that here is written for us of when Jesus was on earth, but it, that story keeps rolling along through our lives as God works in us. So this can all be part of your story as well. So your story is better than you think, but it also could get even better than that. As you keep following Jesus, as you keep being his disciple, as you find out what amazing doors of opportunity are going to open in front of you, as long as you keep following him.
Now, John was written for a very clear purpose. One thing that's kind of nice about John, he did exactly what an English teacher would tell you to do. Um, He started out with kind of like some thesis statements, right? We just read those in chapter 1. But then in chapter 20, at the conclusion, he restates the thesis and gives us kind of this clear, like, why did I write this paper? And uh, there it is. It's in John 20, verse 30. You can look at that in the scripture with me here. We'll probably come back to this one a few times just to kind of remind ourselves as we go through John, like, why was this written? This wasn't just written to be a record for us. It wasn't just written because it's all fascinating. There's actually a reason for you to pay attention to what John said in this gospel. It's John 20, verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So the point of the book is not just for you to learn the book or to go, wow, yeah, Jesus was a great guy. No, the the reason you're reading this is because there's power in his name if you believe in him. And this book is written to show you why to believe in him. Like here's, here's all the power Jesus has. Here's the miracles he performed that validate that power. Here's the teaching that he shared that, that, that comes right into your heart and you know it's real. Like th- This whole book was written so that you could believe in who Jesus was, so that you could be a part of the family, so that you could live in this amazing life and power that Jesus has available for you. So you don't have to wait for the end of John to go ahead and believe. You could start on the premise of belief and it'll mean even more. But even if you're sitting there as kind of a skeptic, going, I don't, I don't know if I quite buy into all this yet, hey, you're in the right place because the Gospel of John was written to show you, to convince you, to prove to you who Jesus actually was, who he is. All right, so that's why it's written, but here's the question for the morning, and a question I'd love for you to not have to go through the Christmas season without an answer to. And that is right now, this sounds a little bit like oxymoronic here, right? Right now is your life eternal. Eternal life isn't something that you die to get into. It's something that you're given by God as a gift the moment you believe in Jesus. So you actually cross over from death to life, not after you physically die, but right there at the moment of faith in your heart. And so right now, you're either existing with or without eternal life. You're either existing in a spiritual death, or spiritual life. Okay? You, can, you can find out which side of the fence you're on. There's two verses in John that are super clear, really helpful to read. Look at John 3, verse 36. It says, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. That is, all the sin, all the evil, all the darkness of the world, that all is under the judgment of God on purpose. Uh, that's, not, like that, that's, that's as far from God's intention as you could be. It says, if you, if you want to stay there, that's up to you. But if you believe in Jesus, if you're willing to obey him, you can cross over from death to life, and you can have this eternal life and no longer be in, in the limited, dark, and sad story of this world. You can join the eternal story that God is writing. Okay, now look at 524. He says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, 
but they have already passed from death into life. And so you could ask of your own heart today, which side of that fence am I on? Have I passed from death to life? Am I living just as a person of this world right now? Am I just flesh and bone? Or do I have eternal life with God already given to me as this incredible gift? Remember John 1.12. Those who believed him, those who accepted him, he gives them the right, he gives them the gift to become a, children, a child of God. So if you ignore all this, you could say, what will the story be instead? Like you could write different stories with your future here, right? You could join God's story. That's option A. Option B is to do it yourself and to see what happens. It's interesting because in John 6, which we'll get to in a few weeks, there, there was a moment when Jesus had said some really hard things. In fact, when we read them, you'll see like it's pretty hard. And in fact, it's not even really clear now in hindsight, like all the things Jesus meant. So you're reading John 6 and it's really difficult. And then you read a sad verse. It's easy to remember because it's John 666. 666. And what happened in John 666? A bunch of people left. A bunch of people who were following Jesus decided to give up. This is too hard for us. We're out of here. So where did, like, they gave up because they didn't understand, but where did they go? Jesus turns to the 12 disciples, like the core followers, and he said, are you, are you guys going to leave too, just because this is hard? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is, it's not like I'm going to, you know, if I, if I just, I don't understand something about Jesus and so I'm out of here, I'm out of the faith. Well, like, where are you, you going to go instead? So, so a great question to ask, especially if you're tempted to, to doubt and ignore all this and just say, well, I, there's stuff I don't understand, so I'm going to set it aside. Is just say, where will you go instead um, to get into a story that actually takes you past the temporary, limited, and sad narrative of this world and into something that's actually worth living for. That's what Jesus offers to you when you put your faith in him, when you believe. You say, but Dan, I still have questions I don't have all the answers to. And I would say to you, I agree. I remember a few years ago, I was sitting at a, at a cheeseburger restaurant. It was very specific. That was on the sign, cheeseburger. So, okay, we'll, we'll go there. I was with my friend, and uh, we were eating this big, you know, record-breaking cheeseburger or whatever. And he, he said to me in the middle of all that, you know, Dan, I just, I just don't feel like I can believe. I said, okay. Um, and this, this was not someone who had journeyed in faith before. He was just kind of exploring. And it was almost like he was coming to the conclusion of like his exploration. He was just, I just don't have enough information. And he had some specific things, like kind of tough theological questions that he couldn't reconcile the answer to. And so he said, here, like, I've got this problem and this problem and this problem. And so I can't believe. I said, well, um, okay. But like, I have those problems too, and I do believe Said, and the first thing he said was, I've never met a Christian who, who like, admitted he didn't have the answer to everything. Okay, well, you haven't met very many honest Christians then, apparently, because none of us have all the answers to everything. Um, but, uh, but we, you know, we continued to talk, and he, he, he started to say, you know, like, well, wait a minute. If, you, if you're able to still believe, even though you don't have all the answers, maybe I could too. It's so like kind of he sort of swung back from the precipice of just giving up completely. He started to realize that, You don't want to set your whole life's purpose, like the whole story. You don't want to set it all aside because there's like some detail you don't understand. Uh, Faith is a choice to believe. Faith isn't when you line up everything and it all makes perfect sense and then you go, okay, great, now I believe. That's not faith. Faith is when you choose to believe 
with whatever limited information you do have and then accepting a whole bunch of mystery that's going to be out there of things you won't understand because you're a limited human being. And of course we're not going to understand everything about infinite God, right? But you say, well, with what I do have, with what the Bible offers, like I'm willing to choose to believe that. And, and then on the basis of that choice to believe, God says that he will come in and change your life. And so if you're a skeptic and you're kind of on the outside and you say, well, I need proof. Well, here's, here's what's interesting about this. You don't get the proof ahead of time. You have to actually choose to believe. And then there's all sorts of evidence and proof that happens. Uh, but it's not faith if you, if you get everything lined up ahead of time and then you just kind of walk in because, well, it's so obvious. Uh, Jesus wants you to step forward in faith and choose to believe. That's what the whole Gospel of John is about. It's, it's giving you the information to say, here is who Jesus claimed to be. Here's the evidence for why he claimed that. Now the question is, will you choose to believe it? Do you want to cross over from death to life, or do you want to remain in your own story and take your chances on your own? So joining God's eternal family involves receiving Jesus or believing and accepting, as John 1.12 says. And it's just a simple decision to begin. Uh, you, you could think of the faith journey a little bit like marriage. You could say, your wedding day is the day you believe. And like, hey, there's fanfare and we're all excited. Maybe today could be your wedding day. Like in, in that regard, maybe you say, today's the day I believe. But the marriage is going to be that long-term following of Jesus, like how you live with him now. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, how you live with him as your Lord. And, uh, and I think John will help us with that as well, because we'll get to know Jesus better as we study his words, as we see what he did. Um, and hopefully together, um, 17 weeks from now or whatever, on Easter Sunday when we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection, we'll have a little more to celebrate than that because it won't just be like someone else's resurrection, somebody else's story. No, this is actually central in your story. And now you get to be a part of the resurrection as well. You get to be a part of everything that Jesus did and everything he will do in the future if you choose to believe. And that's what I'd like to invite you to do today. All right, so why don't we pray? And uh, as we pray, just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second, and I, I just want to talk to you as one who, I've, like, like my friend in the cheeseburger restaurant, I, I have questions I can't answer about how all this fits together. Um, but for me, I don't, I don't want to set aside everything that God has offered and everything that the Bible promises and everything that my life was created for and uh, sort of sit on the sidelines of all that and wait for some sort of answer to some question somewhere, I, I'm wanting to step in and say, Lord, I'll, I'll have faith in you. I'll trust you. And maybe that's where your heart is as well today. Um, and so I, I want to I offer you an opportunity today to pray and receive Jesus, like chapter 1, verse 12 of John encourages us to do. Uh, just to voice to God your willingness to believe, to take a first step on a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And so if that's in your heart to do, I'll just pray a few words up here as kind of an example of what you could pray, what you could say in your own heart to the Lord. And if you, if you agree, if you want to begin your Christian journey today, you could, you could pray right along with me. So Lord Jesus, I choose today to believe in you. I'll set aside my own life, my own sins, my own way of doing things, and I'll look at you instead as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating me. 
Thank you for coming to this world on the first Christmas on a mission to save me. Lord, I want to accept you today and I want my story to become a part of your story. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, for anyone in this room who prayed that prayer or something like it here in the last few minutes, I thank you for them. Thank you for their first step of faith. I pray that you would bless them with amazing encouragement and a clear road forward for how they start to follow you and and what, what this new commitment to believe in you means for their lives going forward. I know for me it's meant so much. It's been such an adventure and such a joy to follow you. It's been such a gift that I have no, um, no claim to other than the fact that you, you give it so graciously and freely. So Lord, thank you for that salvation. Thank you for the love that's represented by it. As our, as our eyes are still closed and we're just still in a moment of prayer, um, I'm going to open my eyes for a moment and just invite you if, you, if today's the day that you have said, Lord, I want to choose to believe in you, I want to take my first step of faith, I just wonder if you'd raise your hand. You could kind of look up at me and I just want to pray for you. I won't call you out or anything, but I'd love to be able to pray for you and maybe encourage you along the way. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray together. Then. Lord, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the way that you invite us to be a part of something so much bigger than anything this world has to offer. And thank you for the incredible grace and truth that have come through Jesus. Lord, in a moment here, we want to sing to you just a reflection of what that grace means and what our salvation is all about. And as we sing, Lord, we just want to commit the moment to you that we're not here singing to ourselves or to one another. We're we're really committing this to you. We're singing with you as our audience. So thankful for your salvation so thankful for coming that you would come and uh, become one of us because you love us. In Jesus' name we pray.